You are listening to Radicals in Conversation, a podcast from Pluto Press, with Chris Brown, Emily Orford, Luke Billingham, and Charlie Gilmore. Okay, uh, welcome everyone. It's the third Pluto Press podcast of our series. And around the table today, we've got Luke Billingham from Haven Distribution and Charlie Gilmore. Uh, we're going to have uh, a discussion between Luke and Charlie tonight, um, which is going to be centering around prisons, what it's like to be in prison, what it's like to learn in prison, what it's like to read in prison, and Haven Distribution's um, services to uh, prisons across the United Kingdom in providing books for prisoners uh, for their education. And also, please press his role with Haven Distribution as well. <laughs> okay, so guys, I'd like to introduce yourselves maybe a little bit. Cool. Um, so I'm Luke and I'm a trustee and volunteer at Haven Distribution. Um, I've been involved with the charity for a couple of years. I'm motivated initially by being appalled by the book ban and then been with them ever since. Um, motivated by understanding the importance of education and the role that self-education, especially in self-motivated education, can play in helping to change people's lives. Uh, I'm Charlie, I'm a writer and journalist. The reason I've been asked here, I suppose, is because in 2011, I was given a 16-month prison sentence for violent disorder, and while I was there, discovered Haven um, distribution um, and the joy of reading in prison. Charlie, so tell us what it was like um, to be in prison and, and what the access was like um, towards books and education while you were there. How did you find it? Um, so when I was sentenced, I was initially sent to Wandsworth, which is the sort of classic um, Victorian high-security prison. Um, my cellmate used to put this sort of cardboard cover over the toilet and I'd, it was really inconvenient. And he said, no, it's to stop the rats climbing out at night. Um, and I sort of didn't believe him, so I sort of left it off and put a little bit of bread out and in the morning the bread was gone. Um, so I think he was probably right. Um, but being in prison is not a pleasant experience. It's it's um, it's not like Hollywood. I, th I, th I thought it would be sort of like the Hollywood films before I went in because I stupidly stayed up watching Shawshank Redemption and Papillon uh, the night before I was sentenced. So I was kind of terrified. But actually, um, it's more boring than it is violence. And so reading is an absolutely essential part of that if you can read. I mean, 50% of prisoners are functionally illiterate, which is a massive consideration you have to make when thinking about how to support prisoners. Not everyone can get the same thing from books um, as the other 50%, I think. Was there a library in Wandsworth that you could access? Right, yeah. That's what, that's what I actually originally meant to talk about. So I was in Wandsworth for a month, and I would, every other day I would ask a prison officer where the library was and how I got there and they'll generally just get laughed at um one of them said uh oh if you if you want to find the library just uh go straight down the corridor past the swimming pool and it's on your left um so i think the attitude of some towards reading in prisons is that it's a sort of effeminate eff affected you know spoiled thing that maybe prisoners shouldn't even be allowed to do so you couldn't access the books there i could have done you could have done but not within a month okay and so when did you first hear about haven so i was absolutely thrilled to leave wandsworth because i was being sent to what i thought was going to be a gloriously cushy lower security prison out in the countryside and when i 
got there, there was no screen in front of the toilet in my cell. There was just a cellmate who had very bad diarrhea and would sort of sit there on the toilet smoking and kind of looking at me as he shat his guts out. Um, it did have a library that I could access, but it only had Geoffrey Archer. Um, <laughs> and the books on prison law were, were locked in a, in, a, in, a, in a very hard-to-access case. And then um, one day, a anti-fascist prisoner who was there for beating up someone who was dressed as a Nazi and shouting Heil Hitler, um, which I thought was a pretty righteous thing to get sent to prison for. He's probably been given a medal rather than um, a two- to four-year prison sentence, whatever it was. And he introduced me to Haven Distribution. And I actually didn't order that many that much stuff because I felt like it was a limited resource and I actually had loads of books. Um, but I did order Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury, which is... I guess it's kind of odd considering that not long after I was let out, books were banned in prison. It's a story about um, a sort of dystopian future within which books are banned and um, how awful that is. But it, I thought it was a fantastic thing and, and I passed on the catalogue to another prisoner and I hoped that he um, used it to order plenty of books. Mm-hmm. Um, but books, they, for, for those who appreciate them, they are an incredible currency and an incredible way of bonding with other people um, inside. I, I stupidly packed lots of quite heavy literature thinking great i'll this is i'm going to get through dostoevsky um (laughs) and all this like 16th century poetry and that just wasn't ultimately what i wanted um i think actually jeffrey archer might have been now you know why it was there in the first place (laughs) so obviously you talked a little bit about the book ban that came into came into place. Um, what was the the timeline of events and kind of how where where are we now in relation to that? So the book ban lasted, I think it was just around a year or a couple of years when Grayling was in in the role. I think it was the end of twenty fifteen, start of twenty sixteen. That it was lifted by Gove when he was briefly um, minister for justice, um, and the justification for it was a mixture of sort of security and punishment, just depending on who spoke. And famously, it cost them tens, if not hundreds of thousands of pounds on PR to justify it because it was clearly ludicrous. And um, there was also quite a lot of crap spoken about how easy it is for prisoners to access books. They don't need books to be sent in because they get the same library service as people on the outside and that sort of stuff. So it's a mixture of sort of rhetoric about security, rhetoric about sort of punishment and the fact that prisoners shouldn't have privileges and then just sort of empirical falsity about like the free access to books that prisoners had already the reality now um and what we continually hear from prisoners when when they write to us is that there are still many issues with getting hold of of books so there's a sort of dangerous simplistic narrative that before the book ban Prisoners could get access to whatever books they wanted. They were getting sent books all the time. Book ban came in, no books. And then after the book ban, they've got all the books that they want. In reality, obviously, the book ban relates to people on the outside sending books in. There is not a massive proportion of prisoners who would have people on the outside who'd be able and willing to send in books to them on a regular basis. Book access for prisoners remains largely from the prison library. Access to the library is very, very limited. The books that are in the library, as Charlie was mentioning, isn't necessarily 
uh, a good variety. So if, especially if you're trying to pursue a particular course and you need particular literature for your course, that's very difficult if you're relying on very infrequent visits to the library. The prison rules state that you might have a minimum of half an hour every two weeks, which isn't very much. But again, in reality, often it's less than that because of officer shortages and so on. So for, for lots of reasons, especially relating to the quality of libraries, um, prisoners' access to books and especially relevant books for the courses that they're studying is limited. And dictionaries is a big issue. As Charlie mentioned, literacy levels on average in prisons tend to be quite low. We have a lot of um, requests for dictionaries to help those who are just who's just beginning to learn to um, develop their literacy skills. And often in libraries, there'll only be a couple of dictionaries that'll be very tatty that you can't take out of the library that are reference only. So if you're trying to begin to learn to read and write and you want to do that in your cell, especially if you're banged up for sort of 20 plus hours a day potentially, if that dictionary is left in the library and you can only access it for half an hour every fortnight max, that very much limits what you can achieve. Mm -hmm. So how many dictionaries do you think you send out every year? Roughly half, if not maybe sort of 60-70% of what we send in is dictionaries mm. of some description. Mm. So we send in quite a few like dictionary and thesauruses, but we also send in quite a few bilingual dictionaries. Mm. So that's probably about a 1,000 dictionaries a year. Um, the bulk of what we do is sending in like educational books to prisoners who are on a course. So any prisoner studying any sort of course, um, be it sort of functional skills or an academic course or a degree, a postgraduate degree or vocational course can fill out a quick form and then we send them the book that they need. The catalogues are sort of separate. So we've got one catalogue which is sort of general reading, which has some political books, some fiction, a mixture. So that might have been the one that you mm. had. And then we've got a catalogue of sage books, which is like academic books. Um, and then we've got one which is books donated by Pluto Press and Verso and New Left Review. So that one and the general reading catalogue, they both have quite a few political books in. Do you see yourself as having um, a political, I wouldn't say mission, but is there a political reason behind what you do at, at Haven? Yeah, there's, there's definitely a political side to what we do. The point that I made when, when I wrote something for Verso, if I'm allowed to m mention them, <laughs> was that one of the reasons that the, bu the book ban was so sort of almost universally decried was that wh wherever you sit on the political spectrum, you can very strongly justify prisoners having access to books and prisoners rehabilitating themselves yeah. through self-education. If you're like a Michael Gove believing in the sort of civilising role that education plays, you support the books in prison on principle if you're an anarchist who fundamentally disagrees with the institution of prisons then you believe that anything which can help any form of liberation is beneficial and worthwhile and should be encouraged mm -hmm. books being one potential form of sort of partial mm -hmm. escapism but as as i say in terms of support for what we do and sort of the campaign against the book ban there are a wide range of sort of mm -hmm. political perspectives mm -hmm. uh represented and charlie did you see do you see your, your role as a prisoner or an ex-prisoner as a political role at all so many of these people who are activists or not activists but like some of the um i think some of the best voices that we have on prison are ex-prisoners um there's a guy called carl catamol who's very funny and angry who wrote hmp a survival guide about his 
two years inside. Um, and yeah, I mean, former detainees are the best people to talk about the detention system. So I think having that experience cannot help but make you want to change that system for other people and possibly even destroy it. Uh, not that I could lay any claims to having done anything at all that could even come close to approximating someone attempting to destroy the prison system, but I, my heart's there. And, and it's, it's interesting looking at the, the voices that are out there advocating for changes in prison conditions or, or prison reform, because, again, they come from quite a wide variety of political perspectives, including um, the ex-prisoners who talk, who talk about these issues. When you see, a, like, the other sort of political things that they're involved in there's, there's a massive variety of different things and it seems that if if you experience it either directly through being inside or you're an academic and you study it or you're a campaigner in, involved in the howard league or the prison reform trust and so you go in and see it it's so obvious that the way that our prison system is set up and the way that our individual prisons are has to be changed mm -hmm. and is according to whatever criteria you use be it rehabilitation be it just keeping people safe be it helping people to develop in a way that means that they're not going to cause harm afterwards there are enormous fundamental flaws in the way that mm -hmm. the prison system and individual prisons operate so it's it's very political in some cases it's, it's very directly critical of the way that prisons are and linked to sort of prison abolitionism in some cases in other cases it might be quite conservative quite right-wing people who just see that the basic fact of the way that prisoners are going to leave afterwards yeah. means that things yeah. have to be changed well, michael gabe was a good example of that i guess and actually his pr potential prison reforms were probably the most progressive thing that he ever did really yeah I, I mean i i trained as a teacher mm. during the time that gove was in education and so he was yeah. like the devil yeah. it was like ev everyone who ever did any sort of talk would have like a crap joke about gove being an arsehole yeah. at the end of it it was like guaranteed laugh guaranteed support and then it was sort of soon after that um, when I was involved in Haven, that he became Minister for Justice and he was involved in prison reform. Mm -hmm. And obviously at Haven, we're particularly interested in prison education. And he chatted about prison education a lot yeah. and made a lot of sort of positive noises about it. So I suddenly entered a realm where people were a bit like, he's actually all right. Or at least like he, the ideas that he's putting forward about prison education are, are mm -hmm. to be welcomed. Obviously, he didn't last that long. Obviously, he, there was a severe limits to um, what he could do. And obviously... I don't agree with everything that he believes in, but in, in this particular instance, he at least valued education and saw that that could have play a role in, in helping to change lives. Generally, prison isn't a hot political issue, though. It's not really something that... It's not a vote winner. Of, People no. talk, there's, a, there's definitely a phrase about how it will only lose you votes rather than gaining votes, because no. whatever you say about prisons, um, unless you say something generic and crap like tough on crime and tough on the causes of crime, mm. then it's not going to win you much. Do either of you have a stance on prison abolition at all? You began talking about it. Yeah, um, I, I'm all for it, I have to say. I, I, I have no idea how it would be achieved, I suppose. Mm. Um, we have to have a, a, a fairer society first, possibly, mm. or perhaps we should destroy the prisons now and then build a fairer society in the rubble, or... Um, <laughs> 
I'm not strictly sure. And then what do we do with the sex offenders? It's, it's obviously, you know, that's a very thorny mm-hmm. issue. My friend said that with the sex offenders, there shouldn't, they shouldn't be confined. There should just be a place where they can go to seek refuge from the baying mobs that will be hunting them. <laughs> um, I was telling Emily earlier about um, uh, Marge Pierce's book, Women on the Edge of Time, uh, which is interesting because it is a society uh, which she imagines or goes to, depending on how you read the text, but where there is no prison system. And in many respects, this is kind of a utopian sort of mm. anarchic sort of society in many ways, but they just kill people who have not on their first offence, but you know, if they mm. are repeat offenders, if you will, you know, and they're a danger mm. to the society. Mm. So they're kind of quite brutal. Mm. Um, it's, it's interesting, yeah. and, and I went to a talk by someone who lives in the ZAD, the Zona de Fondé, in um, France, which the police haven't been able to go in there for a few years. It's this autonomous um, region, he was saying, you know, is obviously difficult because we don't have a justice system. And there are these kind of repeat offenders. And they said there was this one guy who he just kept on setting fire to people's cars and he just enjoyed doing it and he did it and eventually they had enough. And so they got him really drunk, stripped him naked, threw him in the back of a van. I was like, oh God, no, you threw him off a cliff. But actually they just drove him 300 miles away and just boosted him out the back of the van. <laughs> sort of just like, you know, someone else's problem. You can do that on a worldwide scale because people can shoot yeah. you around. <laughs> there, there is, I think... As a, as a consequence, as we were saying about the fact that there isn't that much political imagination really ad- addressing prisons, there aren't necessarily that many wide-ranging, interesting, creative ideas about alternatives for to prisons. Having said that, that there are some interesting new ideas that have come from... There are architects who, who are looking at creative ways of sort of incarcerating people, but in ways that don't separate them off from the community to such an extent. Isn't there a prison that's already been built, the new prison? Is it in North Wales? Yeah, Wrexham. Oh, no, the, kid, the kids from the local primary school. It was called Wrexham, but then the, the primary school kids had a competition about who could name it. It's called, oh, really? What, Berwyn? It's, it's called, like, Teddy Wear Binkle Winkle or something. Or Berwyn, yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and quite sick getting the primary school kids to name the prison. I didn't realise it, though. But I think that I think that is a very negative consequence of the fact that prisons and conditions in prisons and the general general sort of question of what should be done with with those who are currently held in prison doesn't get the same attention as say education mm-hmm. or the NHS. These are all very important institutions. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the numbers involved differ, but that they arguably perform similarly important functions. So they should get the same amount of intellectual attention and creative thought around how things could potentially be done yeah. differently. Voting rights, is that Yeah, and, and again, there, there are some ex-prisoners, there are some campaigners who are very hot on the idea that that would be quite a fundamental thing in terms of prisoners' orientation towards society, involvement in society, being able to vote. And then others folk, focus quite strictly on conditions and say that they, they don't want to talk about rights of... Um, prisoners they don't want to sort of politicize it in that way they want to say that it's conditions which by anyone's standards are abominable and need to be addressed. Charlie you mentioned earlier that people who've actually come through the prison system generally the best kind of people to talk about well talk about it in terms of how it can be changed I mean Luke have you found there are any examples that stick in your mind of people who've received kind of the literature that Haven Mm -hmm. provides that have then either been politicised or become vocal about? There's definitely 
the the sort of the letters we get in response to the books that we've sent sort of very very greatly and some of the ones that we sort of enjoy receiving most are ones where it's like two sentences from someone we've sent a dictionary and it's clearly made a real difference and there was one where the guy said that the first book he'd ever got was from us and he's now a peer mentor helping others to learn maths and like our book helped to start it and there's loads of chat about qualifications that have been gained based on books that we sent we've been invited to a, grad, a degree graduation of someone at full sutton who used the books that we got um to help him with that but others do come from prisoners who receive books from our catalog which are a variety of different types of books and some of those are political and so we get sort of mini essays sometimes where people have read the shock doctrine and then they find it really interesting and they tell us all about um what they think it says about society and how, how interesting they found it and there's a lot of interesting thoughts as well about how the content of particular books about wider society relate to their experience inside and some uh, interesting thoughts on potential similarities between the way that society is going and the way that it is to be inside. Um, so, yeah, when we think about books in prison, I guess it's easy for a lot of people to think of prisoners just sort of lounging on their bed, kicking back with their shoes off, smoking some hash that's been smuggled in by a friendly prison officer and reading the latest um, anarchist newspaper. Um, but actually prison conditions in the last year, or really since 2010 when Osborne's cuts came in, and it's absolutely apocalyptic. Towards the end of last year, we had riots in Birmingham, which quickly went on to um, Bedford and Lewis. There have been around... 25,000 assaults in prison in 2016 which is like obviously massively underreported because you know I, I probably one in three assaults get reported even the ones that prison officers see often aren't noted down and of course suicides it's made in 2016 we had 120 suicides and I think towards the beginning of this year it was one every three days. Yeah, I, I heard think. that in 2014 there were more suicides in prison than there were executions than in America. Can't. So we are kind of killing our prisoners but in a particularly cruel way it's sort of um murder by by um by neglect yeah, really though, no nothing mm. um i mean i remember there was one guy when i got sent to wandsworth and he he was a schizophrenic and he had said he was going to kill himself and he should have been getting help and he was on suicide watch which means the lights are on 24 hours a day and someone is meant to come and check on you every I think it's half an hour or something like that. And the prison officer who was sat outside his cell on suicide watch had a newspaper tucked over his eyes and was snoring, blatantly just snoring while this guy was in there who threatened to kill himself. So, you know, prison is not a nice reading holiday. And, you know, obviously there's only so much that books can do to assuage a lot of those problems. But I think, Luke, would you agree that it plays a small but important role in kind of alleviating some of these horrible um, conditions. Yeah, of course. And, and I think anyone who has any involvement in anything to do with prisons in the UK over the past sort of five to ten years basically feels that we're really at crisis point. The riots, the suicides, the staff shortages, drugs like um, spice causing massive problems. There are prisons where um, it's reported that inmates are having to protect guards... There was a report about Felton recently, which is a young offenders institution, about how it's safe neither for inmates nor staff. So it really is reaching breaking point. 
And it's not just a matter of more staff. It's not just a matter of certain prisons being closed down. There are fundamental problems with the system and the way that prisons are that which need to be addressed. And so from our perspective at, at Haven, thinking about this, what we mention is just the relatively small but very significant impact that books can have in this context. The worse that the prison crisis gets, the longer prisoners are going to be banged up for. So we got a letter from Pentonville just the other day from a prisoner saying he's banged up 23 hours a day, 23 hours a day inside his cell. A cell which is essentially a toilet with a bed in. A toilet with a bed in. Plus rats. And so in order for him to self-educate, to engage in anything productive at all, it's utterly vital for him to have books, interesting books. Um, and in his case, it's a bit, I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's a, it's a particular academic interest that he's got that he wants to pursue. Mm-hmm. And being able to pursue that when in your cell for 23 hours a day, rather than not having that, makes an enormous difference. And what is incredibly important to remember is that 95% of people who go into prisons will come out of them at some point. So it is important to think of prisoners as your potential neighbour. In a few years, they could move in next to you. And when you think about it in that sense, then you realise that having them in an underfunded, understaffed, potentially violent, potentially dangerous, potentially drug-ridden place for however long their sentence is, and then to move in next to you, the alternative of them having opportunities for education, opportunities to pursue hope, pursue purposes which then may lead to opportunities on release is of benefit to absolutely everybody in in the society. We talk a bit, when we're feeling a little bit sort of theoretical or a little bit pretentious, we talk about books as tools and windows. Mm-hmm. Lots of prisoners are are pursuing purposeful activity inside, especially educational courses. Often they face massive difficulties getting hold of the tools that they need for what they're doing, especially obviously course books and dictionaries in the case of those who are developing their literacy. So getting the book from us for them to own that's their book that they can access whenever they want it rather than having to rely on infrequent library visits can make a massive difference to them pursuing that course or or, um, that qualification that they're going for. And then the Windows side of it is thinking about how there's lots and lots and lots of nagging, gnawing boredom that can affect you inside. And then there's also a fair amount of terror, depending on what's happening in the particular prison that you're in. In both of those cases being able to absorb your, yourself in reading something can be a, a small amount of escapism. And when we hear from prisoners in, in letters, there's a, there's a mixture of those two things. There's, there's plenty of prisoners telling us in very concrete terms about the way in which the book has helped them with a particular qualification. And then there's many who tell us about how... There was one recently about how he'd recently gone to the dentist. The treatment wasn't very good. He was in a lot of pain. The prison is just banning cigarettes. And so he's really, really struggling to cope with having to um, have the withdrawal symptoms. And so the books is, is are really what are keeping him going. And all of those sorts of issues which can affect people on the outside, obviously they're, they're um, greatly exacerbated on the inside. So, that, so the role that books can play as 
windows as distractions as as escapism is massively important and the the worse the prison crisis gets the worst prisons get the more important that that small little contribution to a little slice of liberty or a little slice of humanity will get i mean even the way prisons at least the victorian ones are designed architecturally they're designed to be inward looking so it is a world where you can get very very caught up in the minute pointless aggravating details um and i was only inside four months and i was in a very fortunate position to have dozens of people writing to me um and but even for me being in that very very fortunate position i think if i didn't have the books that i had i i mean the, the other side of the books prisoners seek escape in one form or the other and the other side is that last year, 200 kilograms of drugs were smuggled into prisons. And even I, you know, did get kind of sucked into that slightly. And if I didn't have the books, I think I would have been sucked into that much more. I mean, it's very, very easy. And once worth, all you have to do to get high is basically go out into the corridor and inhale. So I think it's absolutely, for, tho- for those who are lucky enough to be able to read, I think it's absolutely a, a vital window out into the it's weird thinking of books as a window out into the real world but into a sort of larger more meaningful more spiritually enriching world so luke i mean obviously you've explained a little bit about what haven does now um and and for the both of you talked about the importance of books and the importance of the work that you do is there any scope for broadening what what haven does or if, if money was no barrier do you is there a sort of sense of what haven would do it's it's important to mention that um, Haven's entirely volunteer run. Um, there's a, a handful of us involved in it in our spare time, um, and we have now got up to sending out around two thousand plus books a year. So, obviously, we're operating with sort of limited capacity and, and limit limited funds as well. And sending books all around the country isn't particularly cheap. Um, but if you know, if if we did have massively increased capacity, then the priority would be sending in uh, lots of books for those who lack literacy skills and really need to d- develop that. Um, and there's a brilliant charity called Shannon Trust, which trains uh, peer mentors in prison to teach others to read. And if we could, you know, supply them with infinite books, that'd be brilliant. If we could work a lot with ex-offenders who've, who've come out and who could um, tutor others who've come out with less literacy skills, there's lo- there's there's because of the state of our prisons, there's enormous need for lots of different sort of educational initiatives. Um, our priority at the moment is trying to deal with the demand that there is for our books because of the lack of access to books or the books that are needed inside. The de- the demand that we face is massive. Out of interest, what, what does happen if someone requests something and you can't fulfil? Do you always fulfil a request? Or <laughs> do you have um, to sort of sometimes let people down? Or do you prioritise people with educational needs over people who want fiction? Or? So the, so the, um, the dictionaries are, are quite simple. So in general, we get asked for, um, if the person's a native English speaker, we get asked for dictionary thesauruses, um, which are particularly useful if you're doing like a functional skills course. And so you're just beginning to learn to read and write and you want to develop that. Um, so we get loads of requests of those and they're very easy for, for us to fulfill quickly. Um, we do have to put a limit on the price of the books that we send in so that we can um, benefit as many prisoners as, as possible. So we uh, can only send in books up to 20 quid 
per calendar year. So often that might be a, a dictionary thesaurus, which would be like a tenner and then one other book. Um, and again, obviously, if we had much more resource, then we would massively expand that. And then the other thing that happens is that brilliantly catalogues get passed around the wings a lot sometimes we only have one or two copies of the books in the catalogues so if it's gone around a wing for sort of a year mm. a prisoner might then ask for a particular book which we sent to another guy on the wing sort of six months ago um but we always ask prisoners to send us like five choices so that we can send at least one or two and something that's worked really well recently with pluto was that um a prisoner wrote to us describing the course that um, he was doing, I think it was social theory in French in uh, Pentonville. Um, and he, he basically just copied out his reading list in this letter, the books that most benefit his course. And I noticed when was Pluto, and we've got this relationship with Pluto, so rather than having to look it up and check the cost and check if he'd got a book from us before, just wrote to one of the people at Pluto and then they said it was print on demand and got it sorted for him. So he got the exact book about Pierre Bourdieu that he needed. <laughs> yeah, we've been uh, working with Haven for two years now and we've donated a few books. I mean, you've managed to make a catalogue out of the books that us and Verso have donated over the last couple of years, which is really fantastic. And we, we're going to continue to work with you for as long as long as we possibly can. So Yeah, and, and the, the catalogue's grown and grown thanks to the mm -hmm. donations from you guys at Pluto and from yeah. Verso and others. And they're, and it, the, what, what you see when we get orders for the books from the Pluto or Verso catalogue um, or when we get correspondence from prisoners in general is the extent of the diversity right. in prisons. It's very important to reiterate that half of prisoners are functionally illiterate. They're very, very low levels of literacy. And that's important in terms of thinking about why those people have ended up in prison. Mm -hmm. Failures of education system, alternative provision, people referral units, secure training centres, secure children's homes, all of those institutions have a big part to play in, in why these people end up in prison. But then there are prisoners who are studying French and social theory. There are prisoners who are take a massive interest in Russian history. And so the more books that we're able to get in into our catalogue, the, the more sort of taste and interest we're able to cater to. And that's, and that's what we see if you're asking for books inside, you're pursuing self-education, which is the most tran transformative form of education that there is. If you've taken a particular intellectual interest in something that you want to pursue because you're interested in it, because you think it might be able to benefit your career, or it's just something that you think you're passionate about and will benefit your mind, that can be a fundamentally transformative thing for anybody. But if you're inside, if you're banged up for 23 hours a day, then being able to get that can make a huge difference. And that's something which we're able to do thanks to publishers like Pluto and Verso sending us the books that they do and expanding our catalogue. It's up to 20 pages at the moment. We're now going to wait until some of the books have gone before adding in the new ones, otherwise it'll be... I think we've probably got about a thousand spare communist manifestos upstairs. <laughs> yeah, take them away in a box. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that's on a couple of our catalogues. So. Quite nice to think they're infiltrating the prison system with communist manifestos. Certainly, yeah. <laughs> but I think I think the like last thought um, would be that prisons need more attention, and because of issues with drugs, because of issues um, with riots and suicides, they've begun to get more attention, but. The fear is that the news cycle will move on and even if things continue as they are or get worse, 
the attention that they're given will diminish and anyone can make a mistake and end up in prison and everyone in prison has however many loved ones on the outside who are thinking about them enormous numbers of people are affected by the horrific state that prisons are in so it needs more attention as i've mentioned before i think books play a role in in helping prisoners to cope and to advance themselves and to pursue purposes while they're inside they make that small contribution which obviously i think is very important but the work of organizations like prison reform trust and howard league is also really important and anyone who's at all political and at all concerned about human beings should pay some attention to um, this issue and, and think about how they might be able to contribute I think um, as important as prisoners reading is people reading about prisons. If you're at all interested in it, you should educate yourself about it. Even start writing to a prisoner, you'll find it to be an incredibly um, enriching and interesting experience. That could be the foundation stone from which people could start thinking about what they can do to change the system, would be actually communicating with the people who are inside it. You've been listening to Radicals in Conversation, a podcast from Pluto Press. We'd like to thank our guests, Charlie Gilmore and Luke Billingham from Haven Distribution. You can find out more about the important work Haven does at havendistribution.org.uk. To listen to the next episode of Radicals in Conversation, go to plutobooks.com or subscribe via iTunes.